Indeed, it is another delightful day here in Napa Valley, and I'm so glad you're here to enjoy it with me. I am certainly delighted to introduce you to today's guest. It's Dennis Kazette. He's an author, an illustrator, one of the most creative dudes I've come across in my 30-something years here in Napa Valley. And I go back about that far with him. He was a teacher at St. Helena Elementary School. I've known him since I was a little kid. And he's a great guy. You're going to enjoy hearing him, his story, how he comes up with these wild ideas for his books. He's going to be giving us a few previews of some upcoming works that are going to be published. And hang out for a little while and hear an extemporaneous story about donuts. In the meantime, come see me. Let the whole gang at Judd's Hill show you a good time here in Napa Valley. We are celebrating our 25th year of being a winery right now, and we've got lots of fun planned. We're located at the south end of Silverado Trail amongst the verdant vines of Napa Valley. We're open daily. Come on by. Visiting information is at www.juddshill.com. You can see which wines are available. You can see which events are coming up. You can find out all kinds of stuff, recipes, photos, our videos. Come say hey. We guarantee a good time for all. While you're there, check out the Wine Club. If you're not already a member, you've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. You should be. All of our fantastic wine gets to you. Most of it is very limited production and Wine Club only, so it's your way to get in on the good stuff. The information is available at judshill.com. It's free to join. And lots of fun coming your way. Events, parties, dinners, on and on and on. It just doesn't stop. And that's a good thing. This is like, it doesn't stop in a good way. We're guaranteeing you a good time. Yeah, I said that already. I'm saying it again because it's true. How about that? Also, while on our website, you may find some wines that you like and want to have us send to you. Put them in your shopping cart and then type in JNVS, all in lowercase letters, that's Judd's Napa Valley Shows, what it stands for, J-N-V-S, and get 15% off your entire wine order. It's a pretty good deal. If you're a member of our wine club, the deal's even better than that, though. So check it out. Looking forward to hosting you here in Napa Valley. In the meantime, enjoy today's show. Everyone's a Finkel friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. And now... Live from the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lauren Mole, and here's your host, Judd Finglestein. Good morning, Lauren Mole. Top of the day, Judd. Top of the day, Lauren. How are you this fine and chilly Napa Valley morning? Oh, I'm doing great. You are? Are you excited? You've got a big show coming up. I do. Terry Bradford's Community Course. And I have the information with me right now. Right now? This very moment? This very moment. In your hot little hands? Yes. Are you willing to share with us so that our listeners may come see you sing in the Terry Bradford Napa Valley Community Chorus Concert coming up this very week? Sure. Why not, Judd? Go ahead. 
Don't miss our holiday concert this Thursday night, December 12th at the Napa Valley Opera House with our live band. We'll be singing your holiday favorites along with songs from Billy Joel, Carly Simon, and Earth, Wind, and Fire. Guest artists include Jason Brock, X-Factor, Skylar Jet, the Commodores, and Micah, Mika, I'm not sure how you say her name. Anyway, Micah Paris, NBC's The Voice, Artists on the Rise. Get your tickets now at nvoh.org. And that's at our very own Napa Valley Opera House. That's going to be quite a gig. It is. And remind me, you sing bass, right? Bass. Bass. You got a favorite tune? Are you looking forward to one in particular? I like them all. That's good for you, man. That's going to be a great show. And that's this coming Thursday. This coming Thursday. The 12th. That's right. www.nvoh.org. And please note, this website goes 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So you can get your tickets whenever you want. Whenever you want. As long as they're available. This might be a sellout show. That's right. It's a hot, hot commodity. It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to let you know, those of you listening, and Lauren also, this is of interest to you. Remember a couple weeks ago we had uh, Gerald Casale as our guest. He's of the band Devo, and he's making wine now, so we had him to talk about not only uh, his music but the wine project he's on. So um, we just put that up in the podcast version of the show. So anybody can go to the iTunes store, look up Judd's Napa Valley Show, and all of the episodes make it there eventually. We just posted his and he encouraged us to add a little music to it. So it's the first time we have some music woven through our uh, show. Um, A little something special. If if you listened live, we didn't have it, but for the podcast, there's the Devo Easy Listening, some of the tracks. It's actually easy listening versions of Devo tunes that Devo actually arranged and recorded themselves, which is kind of fun. So he encouraged us and gave us permission to do that. So Go to Judd's Napa Valley show on the iTunes store and have a listen to that. So we have a very interesting guest. We do. Lined up today. Would you like to give him an introduction? Sure. Why not, Judd? Best-selling author of kids' books, you bet. For which numerous awards he did get. One of the most creative dudes we've yet met. Now let's welcome... Dennis Cazette. Hey, Dennis Cazette. How are you, sir? Oh, my God. That had rhyme and everything in it. He's good, isn't he? He is good. The consummate professional. This is why we keep him around here at KVON. Actually, I I shouldn't say KVON. I mean, you're mine, kid. You don't do anyone else's show here, do you? Uh, No. Good. It's it's a Judd's Napa Valley show exclusive. Lauren Mole, that's right. Yeah, but every once in a while, I tend to hang out with Bob and Mindy on the morning show next door. Right. You hang out, but you're not like, you're not their announcer. Right. But anyway, back to our guest. Oh, yes. Yes, that's why we had you in here. It's about time for that. I know. You've been hanging out here for, I don't know how many minutes. Let's talk about you. You are um, a an an author extraordinaire. You've become a, a Napa Valley, I think, it's safe to say, a, a legendary figure here oh in Napa God, Valley. Oh, my God, a legendary figure, uh, like an icon. You know, I, you know, I was thinking the word icon. church pretty soon. <laughs> Where is that being built? Because we're <laughs> yeah. going to join. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I just have to raise the money first. Yeah, well. And you can't raise it in publishing because nobody makes any money. So that, That's the case these days. Yes. Um, even with your, it's, is it over 50 kids' yes, books that you've that's written? that's true, yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Where does, where does one, how does one start doing that? Where does I'm not sure what I'm trying to ask you. If it's the inspiration or where did you get? Where did where did how did you develop this uh, idea to do this? I want to know all these things. It's, well, it's too yeah. many questions to <laughs> to fathom in my head because I've known you a very long time. Maybe we should go back to to how I know you. Then we'll go back even further. But I'd say about 30 years ago, 
Yes. I, I was I was a student at elementary school, That's the St. Helena Elementary uh, School. Yes. And you were known to me as Mr. Kazette. Still am. You still are known to me as Mr. Kazette. Um, back then we were talking before we went on the air about a lot of teachers go by their first name now, but it's nice to have that respect uh, I guess as well. I'm, I'm just too old fashioned for that. <laughs> okay. <you know? laughs> so Mr. Kazette, um, and you ran the library and media center there. True, yes. And I was I was a helper from time to time as the kids kind of cycled in and out. And you were the guy that everybody wanted to work with. Everybody wanted help. You were the cool dude. <laughs> I'm not well. Oh, that's nice to hear, but I, I don't. Uh, maybe it's because uh, uh, you know it was it was a great place. The library in those days uh, were supported by uh, school districts. You know, California now is at the bottom of the. Uh, Bottom of the scale we, uh, for libraries, uh, I think we're 49th or something in the number of dollars that are go to uh, school libraries. So it's it's a sad place. Everybody wants a computer, you know. It's like yeah, uh, right. I'm not sure that that's the right direction, but uh, that's the way it is. Well. I, yeah, I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole other yeah, topic. We sure. could fill a whole hour talking mm-hmm. about that. But I would like to just say that you provided many good memories for the children of St. Helena. And working there with you, there were not only filled with great books in the library, there was artwork, there were live animals. It's true, yes. I there were, was an we iguana had, I was awfully fond of. We had an iguana that used to sunbathe under a, a, a sun lamp. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there was uh, two tarantulas, there was uh, three boa constrictors. I think we had canaries. We had a, we had two parrots for a long time. Yeah. And the, and the uh, story about the parrots is uh, <clears throat> the custodian uh, did not like to go into the media center because there were everything from tarantulas to these boa constrictors. One night, uh, we had forgot to close the cage on the uh, parrots. I mean, these are macaws. These are big birds. Yeah. And uh, he was vacuuming, but the lights were were really dimmed, you know, he didn't need much light, so he was oh, vacuuming no. underneath, I'm not sure I want to hear the end of this underneath story. the cage, and he wore a cap, and one of the parrots <clears throat> climbed down on the bottom of the cage, and picked up with that little bead on the top of the cap, mm-hmm. you know, it was shiny, so it picked up the cap and then put it back on his head. <laughs> and he absolutely, he, he just, just froze. <laughs> and, then, and then thinking that it was just something that happened, you know, and maybe it didn't happen, and so he continued to vacuum, and every time he got under there, the hat would go up and would come back down. <laughs> the next morning when I came in, the vacuum was still in there. Really? The doors were locked. He was gone and refused to go back. Never came back in. Okay. I was afraid you were going to say he vacuumed up one of the birds. <laughs> no. I'm having images. There's a there's a old Little Rascals, you know, short film where um, the kids break into the schoolhouse at night and the custodian comes to check in and I think it's buckwheat or one of them has a skeleton oh, attached to him, you know, because he's been hiding in the closet. He comes out and the, the skeleton is attached to him. The custodian just runs out the door. It makes like a person-sized hole in the door as he runs out. Of course. Out. Of course. He just, that kind of reminds me of yeah. what just happened there. And you also, what was a big hit, I think it was on birthdays, you would draw a tattoo right. 
on the kids, the back of the kids' hands. No, uh, today if that happened, they'd probably get sued for it. But that's right, true. the ink would be <laughs> yeah. an allergen. Or a, <laughs> exactly. But that was a highlight. Nobody would wash their hands for weeks. They're that's probably true. responsible for the spread of all the diseases. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there is some truth to that, I suppose. I, oh, yes, it's, it, we. Uh, when uh, a kid had a, a birthday, they would come into the library, into the media center, and say, you know, it's my birthday. And usually they were they were brought in by two or three other friends, you know, to remind <laughs> them. And they came in, and I would draw whatever they wanted on their arm or their hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's true. They would go home, and they would not wash it. No, I'm, I remember that well. <laughs> yeah. Hooray for exactly. germs. I still, I still have... Uh, you know, there'd be somebody who's 30 or 40 years old walk up to me and say, "Yeah, do you remember when, and I don't even remember who it is uh-huh. because, you know, they're all grown, and, and say, do you remember when you drew that tattoo on me? And I, I don't know if they're asking me for, uh, there's a lawsuit coming up or, or, what, or what, but it's... It's probably, like, you say, yeah, and they say, well, guess what? Today's my birthday. <laughs> yeah, I've got yeah, some pens right, and I'm yeah. turning 47 years old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can you draw a tattoo for me? <laughs> Now, by the time I met you, which is now, you know, 30 years ago, you were already, I mean, well-established kids' book author, which just added to your cool factor. You could go in the library and actually read books that you had written and illustrated, and, and wow, here's the guy who did it. So how did that all happen? When did you become a writer, and what inspired you in the first place? Well, you know, I grew up in a family of storytellers, so it yeah. wasn't, seemed very natural to me. Uh, my family were extended family. I was the only kid in it for many years. Uh, every dinner was maybe 20 or 30 people involved, and they were all much older than me. And every wow. every dinner was an argument over something that had happened, which oh, no. became more embellished than the last time you heard it. You know, so oh, so arguments became so you, yeah. You can't, you know, you, you a kid can't walk away from that without remembering that influence. You know, and for me, uh, um. Libraries were always important, and the, the uh, these stories. I used to walk to school every day, and every single day I would stop at the little local public library and read. I had gone to a public to a uh, private school, a parochial school, which I did not like. Very and where much. was this? This was in Oakland. Oakland, okay. And so, in order to kind of, I don't know why, I, you know, free myself of whatever that feeling was. I'd walk into the library. I'd go over to the uh, picture book section. I'd sit down on the floor. This is like second or third grade. Mm-hmm. And sit on the floor, pull the books off the shelf, and basically build a literary fence around myself, reading these books over and over and over. The illustrations, you know, were so amazing to me. And my dad was a uh, uh, was a uh, artist also, so I used to watch him draw. Mm. He worked for the Bank of America for forty years and hated every second of it. Not he, as an artist, I'm no, taking. no, no, no. Yeah. God, as a teller, he would okay. come home, go out, garden in a three-piece suit, come <laughs> back in and draw. You know, and that's really what he wanted to do. He was really an amazing mm. artist, but you know, it never happened for him. Right, right. So, anyway. Um, the family. It sounds like family is where you gain inspiration. Family was a big influence. And, uh, can, I read, can I read a quote that I read off your bio, which oh, I think sure. is just fantastic? Yeah. Yeah. I, this is you talking about your own family. You said family functions were like participating in a renaissance fair, 
held in the middle of a Barnum and Bailey freak show. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, I can't it's, imagine the characters. Oh, uh, you know, and uh, it's true. They they uh, they were all they were all characters. And when I'm writing something, you know, it's, uh, these memories come back to me. And uh, but also, I, I see people as with all these different characteristics. When you're writing something, you know you're 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 mapping out a plot, but you're also also Im, imbuing characters with you know with what they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the people that I grew up with, uh, I mean, they were incredible characters. I mean, my my great uncle Felix, he used to he used to go out and garden in a fedora and a three-piece suit, you know? If it was really 115 (laughs) degrees, he'd he'd very carefully fold the coat over the shovel handle that was sitting there, which was in the ground. There was a certain generation where you had to dress a certain way and look respectable. Yeah, I've seen, actually, pictures of my great-grandfather probably out at Brighton Beach in Brooklyn with a with a tie, shirt and tie, yes. with maybe the sleeves rolled yeah. up a little bit. Yeah. But oh, yeah. Still. Well, that's because it was hot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, William um, Steig, who's one of my favorite writers, oh, yeah. wrote a book called uh, When, When I think it's called When Men Wore Hats. And that's a that wonderful one. kid's book. It's it's really offbeat, and, and it talks about that generation, you know, to kids. I don't know if they they really understand it but but uh i'm gonna look that one up yeah that sounds good i think my my kids would like that they like yeah, he's fanciness a, he's, a, he's a great writer oh yeah i'm i'm a fan of his books I, we actually <laughs> i wanted to bring this up there's a certain um in some of his books there's a certain darkness um with characters maybe about to meet their imminent doom perhaps um, what is it? The magic magic bone, where the yeah, little pig is right. about to yeah. be eaten by the is it a, a fox, a wolf? It's it's whatever the woodland creature yeah. kidnaps her, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's kind of scary. You know, I, I quit sure. reading it to my kids. Now, there's a couple books of yours that my kids absolutely love, and I'm surprised that they don't. Maybe it's just not as dark, but there's the um, the perfect pumpkin pie where there's a Basically, a, a zombie ghost comes out oh. from the yard into the house. To, well, I mean, that's not. It's there's no doom, I guess. Critical. This poor guy is dead. It's true, <laughs> you know. But his 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 uh, love of pie overcomes his sensibilities about death. So that is a very strange book. I, I must admit. Um, they love it. But I had fun writing that book, and that that book. Uh, um, it was particularly interesting to me because of the illustrations. It was something I hadn't done before. I, all those illustrations were done, uh, the drawings were done on newsprint with a black felt pen and, oh. and rather quickly. And then um, I scanned them in and then I, I uh, printed the um, scans on watercolor paper. Then uh, I painted them. Which is un- which is a, a kind of a, a strange way of doing it, but the color really is d- is really better, and the drawings are very open and kind of free, which I like a lot. Yeah, it's got a great look to it. So, can you say that one more time? It is about. 
How did you just phrase that? I'm going to have to play this back. I love the way you said it. Something about his, his issues with death overcoming through pie. Oh. Just restate that. that <laughs> well, was it, and, and, and was that your intent to kind of teach a lesson about death and no. pie? <laughs> oh, God, no. No, no. I, 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 I'm, death is not a favorite subject of mine. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, no, it's not. I don't. I don't really believe you're right to teach a lesson. I think mm. that's backwards. I think you people who I, I've had people look at my books and well, what are you really trying to say? You know, what what is it that you know? Are you what lesson are you trying to teach them? Well, I'm not trying to teach them anything. I'm just trying to tell a story. Okay. And in the telling of that story, there are characteristics about the people and their reaction to each other and how they behave and and the results of those actions. Um, that may touch on something that is either familiar with the a child or the reader uh, in a way that uh, perhaps, uh, you know, touches them. Right, right. Well, I guess it's a fair question, being that you have been a teacher for so long, folks might think there's a lesson to be learned oh. in there somewhere. Yes, I know. That's, uh, <clears throat> I just think it's a mistake. It's the, it's the cart before the horse. If you start mm. out saying, well, I want to teach them about something, you, you're going to write a lousy book. I see. I see. Let the story happen, and then no. maybe something will flow out. Sure. I mean, when you think about it, think about the best stories or the, even the jokes that you hear. They're very natural sounding. And, 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 and as someone is telling them, if they're good at it, they're, they're telling you, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're pulled into that story because there's something about it that's that's uh, um, that's touching you know it's familiar there's something about it and, mm-hmm. it, and it ends up being funny hopefully right and uh, and that's the point right right what drew you towards children's books I mean you're a very creative guy gaining inspiration from all over and probably could write for any age group but what drew you towards the the kids genre well, as I say, you know, for me, when I was young, I was, uh, that was my salvation for, you know, being in a place I really didn't want to be. And, uh, I mean, the, my teachers, uh, I actually had a teacher whose name was Sister Borgia. Oh, wow. <laughs> if you can imagine. Um, she was about 180 years old. And she had a cane. And she, uh, if she thought somebody was talking, she had no problem with bashing that cane across the desk, you know. And if you were too close, you know, I remember she did it once where I was sitting across my desk and the cane actually splintered out into the middle of the room. I uh, later wrote a very long poem about it, uh, about a teacher who's had one glass eye, and, and when she leaves the room, she removes the eye and leaves <laughs> it on her desk to watch you. And anyone who misbehaves, the eye will tell her when she puts it back into her head. Ooh, and this was inspired by this Sister Borgia. This was inspired Borgia. by Sister Borgia, one of, my, one of my favorite characters, only because, well, she, this is her idea of justice. Uh, this story is true. When uh, my dad, who was, as I say, was a banker, and mm-hmm. he was very uh, a typical Frenchman, very tight-fisted. One day, he, uh, one morning, he gave me ten cents. Now this is in the forties, right? Okay. Uh, he, uh, so I take this ten cents to school, and I keep putting my hand in my pocket and letting it kind of, kind of sit there, and I feel it and I touch it because I can't wait. Because after school, I'm going to get a candy bar. Oh. 
So I'm called up to the, I, I take the dime out of my desk and I look at it and I put it on top of the desk and Sister Borgia calls me to the front of the room to, to uh, take a sentence and, and you know, break it apart, one thing or another. And so I go up, I do it, I go sit down and the dime is gone. Uh-oh. I look up to the kid in front of me who it's now on his desk. Mm. So I am really ticked off about this and I whack him in the back of the back of the, <laughs> the back because I'm so upset about it and she calls us both up there. She takes the dime and she said, What is this all about? I said, Well he took my dime. My dad gave me this dime in the in the you know, this morning and she said, Well, if this is your dime, what's the date? Oh. <laughs> so you know, I took a guess. 1945. Uh, she said, no, it's, it's 1946. Jimmy, this is your dime. She gave it to the other kid. Yeah. No wonder she's shown up in your, <laughs> yeah. in your poem. Well, sure it's all about revenge. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we do. Yeah. yeah. Is that published somewhere? No. That poem? No. No. I, I did do a book, uh, a poetry called Night Lights. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but... Uh, um, I, I haven't seen. That I, one, I'd like no. to do it. I'd like to do another one. Uh, actually, I'd like to do that. That poem is quite long, um, but you know. Wow. Well, there is so much to talk to you about. You keep peeling these layers back. I love it. Uh, this is Dennis Cazette. He's an author, illustrator. Over fifty books available. Many right now online at Amazon. I was having a look, oh, and yeah. probably other outlets. Do you have a favorite outlet for your books? Not really. We go to break. I don't care. Every outlet is my favorite. Every Saint <laughs> Helena, Main Street Books. Uh, yeah, Main Street Books. That's right. Uh, well, you can get the you can get back issues there. Yeah, yeah. Liza, she's great. She's fantastic. She can order just about yeah. anything. Uh, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of Finkel fun. Okay, kids, grab your parents and gather around the radio because it's story time on Judd's Napa Valley Show. That's right. Thank you, Lauren Mole. Our guest today is Dennis Cazette, author of over 50 books, most of which are for kids. Yes. Maybe all of them. Are, do you have any for non-kids? Well, I've written, you know, some things for adults. So I'm working on, actually, a, an adult uh, book, which is so different and so much fun because I can say and write anything I want. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't have to be quite as careful, huh? Oh, yeah. So what kind of books are there for kids? I mean, I'm aware of, you know, picture books and beginning reader books. And how do you approach the different genres and styles of kids' books? Yeah, well, it, you know, it's, uh, you, have to, you have to listen to, to the idea. You have to, to allow it kind of to develop on its own. There are some books that I've, that I've written that <clears throat> I've jotted an idea down and haven't seen the light of day for two or three years. Mm. And it just has to fall into place. It's, it's really hard to explain. You know, it's something that I think you just, um, as a writer, you know, you you everybody does it slightly differently, and everybody has a a direction to take. But it's you have to listen to what the the uh, the idea and eventually the story is telling you. Um, I've done middle grade books, I've done picture books, and I've done quite a few uh, 
um, early readers. Mm, Harper okay. Collins is, uh, did all the uh, Minnie and Moo books, oh, yeah. and, uh, the Elvis books, and those are all directed towards kids who are just beginning to read. Um, Very popular books. I, mean, I see them around, and I've, I certainly have several on my shelf, the Minnie and Moo. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's heartening. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, very popular. Well, my kids were very excited when I told them who was coming in today. I said Minnie and Moo, and they was, <gasps> wow. Well, there are, there are two. Um, well, there's one, uh, Minnie and Moo, that's for, uh, actually for middle grades. So it's oh. not, a, not a beginning reader. And there's a second one coming out in the spring called... Uh, you know, Minnie and Moo are two cows who mm-hmm. are the best of friends. And this particular book is called Hooves of Fire. Hooves of Fire. Oh, yes. A Judd's Napa Valley Show exclusive. Oh, I don't know. I was hoping that you could give us the title as well. Hooves oh. of Fire. Hooves of Fire. Oh, that's See? very nice. And, and so, are we getting a little exclusive? Or you, well, I, I have something to, here to read. I was thinking, well, I should read, you know, part of uh, what is asked of a writer, uh, you know, who, who, already, who has a book that's in the work, is to write what's called a flap copy. And the flap copy is on the, that inside page mm-hmm. uh, on the dust jacket that tells you a little bit about the book. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's an encouragement to pick it off the shelf and buy it. Right. The, the um, promo. And so this is the flap copy for Hooves of Fire. It's a perfect day for the first annual hoot, holler, and moo talent festival. The sun is shining in a warm autumn sky and the stage is set. Mr. and Mrs. Farmer are gone on vacation. Minnie and Moo are dressed in their togas. Elvis (laughs) has his bagpipe. The hyenas, their jokes. The fox, his magic tricks. The sheep, a protest poem. Porcus, his songs. And the cash box is stuffed with money from ticket sales. A perfect day. No, wait a minute. Where is the cash box? And where are the weasels? And why are those coyotes on motorcycles? And who pushed those porta potties down the hill? And another thing. See, you just got to have to read it now. And another, oh, it ends right there. And <laughs> yeah, another thing. Yeah, exactly. So, gotcha. Wow. To be continued. Yeah. Yes. So when when is that due to release? Uh, Minnie and Moo, Hooves of Fire. Well, that'll uh, be out in the spring, and that's uh, being published by a, a, a new publisher in Ber- Berkeley. Um, they're, we'll, we'll see how they do. I don't know. They're not, they're very small, but we'll see. But you know, you've got, you've got a built up brand in Minnie and Moo as it, as it were, you know, these have become very popular characters. The two cows who are best of friends. And you mentioned Elvis, who's the kind of, uh, the rooster. egocentric. Oh yes. Rooster. I think he's a lot like me actually. So he's oh, really, really the easy to write for, you know, <laughs> it's, just, it's just, he's everything. Every woman really can't stand, but he doesn't know that. Oh, <laughs> and that's, and that's you. That's me. That's absolutely me. <laughs> well, how so? I'd love to, I'd love no, to hear your take. No, no, on I this. don't want to give you the details. <laughs> <is it? laughs> all right. All right. Uh, you have a, a good quote. I also read where you said that, um, good fiction is a great lie. And a great lie always begins with the truth. Yes. Have you turned Have you turned a bit of truth into a lie and then into a great story? Well, it has to be believable. You know, I uh, I, I first wrote that because uh, when I was working on a uh, library credential at PUC, and uh, there was a the librarian there. His name was Miss Phipps, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful name, yeah. and uh, she actually appears in a book that I'm working on now uh, called Scoops. And it's based on uh, one year of a middle grade 
And each scoop is a little vignette, a little story, and it chronologically goes through the whole year. And Miss Phipps is the librarian in there. Because mm. when I was taking the... Uh, she was a she was a, just a stereotype librarian. I mean, absolutely <laughs> stereotype. But she had this underlying sense of humor, you know, which you really had to pay attention to because it was so, so kind of below the surface, you know. Well, she, when I first uh, was working on this this uh, program, there was no fiction in the college library because, uh, and I asked her about it, and uh, even the kids' books that they had for the Department of Education were, were nonfiction books. I said, well, where are all the fiction books? And she said, we don't have fiction books here. I hmm. said, well, why? Because fiction is a lie. Oh, my goodness. Which struck me. At first, I was really upset about it because I was thinking, oh, my God, they're just eliminating so many wonderful things. But the more I thought about it, it's true. Fiction is really a lie. It's a wonderful lie, a beautiful lie. But good fiction begins with a germ of truth. And a good example of that is a book by Alan Say called Once Under the Cherry Tree. And if you read that book, um, it's, a, it's the story of, a, of a, a grumpy old man who, during the cherry season, the celebration, uh, he, is, he owns all the property. And um, it begins by this wonderful laying out of, of, of the story where he's sitting in the middle of all these children playing, having a wonderful time, and eating a cherry. And a, he swallows a cherry. Yeah. And the cherry pit sticks in his, his rolls around. It ends up in, uh, in his head. Okay. Well, swallowing the cherry <laughs> is, is, you know, we've all done that, you know, mm-hmm. and you can, you, can, you can hear the echo of your, one of your parents say, you know, you don't swallow that, you want, or the watermelon seed, right. or it's going to grow up in your, you know. All yeah. Okay. So he swallows it, nothing, you know, the story goes on. And he wakes up one morning, and there's a little sprig, a leaf growing out of the top of his head. Okay, well, it continues from there. Well, it turns into a tree and goes on and on until eventually he he's so angry with this thing growing that he pulls it out. Sitting outside, it rains. Water fills up the hole that's in the top of the head, and fish are swimming in it. I mean, it goes on like this, where it you know, goes on and on. And, and uh, you know, but when you first start reading, it all seems very, very clear. And, and, and this is just a story, and some people do, in truth. But then the way that story is built up, by the time you're in the middle of it, you're going, oh, yeah, I can see that. So it does begin with 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 truth, and 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 actually, fiction itself is the is I think uh, you know you can manipulate it, and it has to sound like it's the truth too. Even science fiction, you know, with, mm-hmm. with all the you know the, the the kinds of things that happen in science fiction are really pretty odd and way out there. Right, but. It's written in a way that's very believable. I see. And the best way, I think, sometimes is uh, maybe is to tell that lie in terms of plot and story of how the story goes. Um, there's so many great books out there that, that uh, start out with that germ of truth. And you can't seem to gain inspiration from 
so many little germs that you happen to see. Um, the the Minion Moo, the cows, was, did you not just see a herd of cows and two were facing the opposite direction? And <laughs> That's that true, gave you yeah, inspiration? Yeah, we were on our way to, uh, I can't remember where it was, maybe Grandma's house or something, and there was some comment about the Oreo cows in, down oh, here right, in, in Napa, Napa, you know, and they were all the cows were all facing one direction except two of them, mm-hmm. and they were facing the opposite direction, and uh, somebody tried to explain that scientifically or something, you know, and right. I said, well, you know, and, and when we came back, it was exactly the opposite. The other two cows were facing the other direction. All the rest of them, wow. and I said, well, that's because, you know, these cows are the best of friends, and they had an argument. I just went into this thing about they had an <laughs> argument, you know, with the other cows, and then they're, you know, they're talking about it, how to resolve it, you know, and, you know, so went from there. And from there, I mean, this, this great series of books, that's pretty incredible. What's it like building... Um, I mean, many of your characters are animals. Do you find that it's easier to imbue them with the sensibilities that you want to get across than it is to imbue human characters? Well, you know, um, one of the great features about using animals is that you avoid this casting of uh, whether they're um, a white child or a black child or uh, some, uh, you know, they be when they're animals, they're you avoid all that. They're just characters. I see. And by characters, I, in a sense, you know, they're, I mean, they're they're people, really. I mean, it's why it's why a lot of times I, I I'll pick a story or I'll, I'll write a story, but I, I'll use an animal because I don't I want to avoid all that. We're just talking about children, you know. We're talking mm-hmm. about children and their relationship with other children or their parents. That's all I'm interested in. Gotcha. Well, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it that way. Yeah. Avoid all that noise. Oh yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's. I mean, I, I've had you know. Uh, there are people out there who are just waiting to pick apart something. They they have a they have a podium that they want to sure. get up on, you know, sure. to sell their idea to everybody. But yeah, don't you know. give them a target. No, right. Now you've been here in Napa Valley. You said you grew up in Oakland. And when did you first come to Napa Valley? Nineteen sixty-two. Sixty-two. So it's it's been some time at this point. Yes. And you find that it's. Um, ripe for creativity and you gain inspiration and you find your muse here and well it's gorgeous you know i mean this is the place where i really i this is i i call home mm-hmm. i mean I, I have so many great friends here um yeah, I actually recognize many of the names where it says dedicated to at the beginning of your books like oh i know those people i know yeah. that guy yeah yeah that, that's uh you know well as i say i mean this is this is my home uh you know i've got my kids are here, mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, the the weather, with the possible exception of this week, right? It's so know, cold, it's been great, you know, <laughs> etc. Yeah, but it sounds like you know the environs, the 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 cows, for instance, here in South Napa inspired Minnie and Moo, and and you have a book, you know, mud baths for everybody or everyone, excuse me. Um, I can only imagine the the mud baths in Calistoga here in Napa Valley, maybe. That's something to do. You know, with that, that book has been around a long time. I yeah. I, uh, I don't even remember. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. But it's out there. It's a great book. So, so pick it up. Uh, do you want to? Uh, you have some other stuff here. Do you want to read a little? Well, you little know, something the other, else. The, uh, the other. Um, well, let me ask you. Um, I, I'm also working on a western, which. Uh, I could read you the flap copy for if you like. Yeah, okay. absolutely. This so is this about is a, a it's about a kid who who uh, 
Well, this book is for, I would say, upper middle grades, maybe even a little higher. It's about a kid who uh, takes place in 1880 in uh, Nebraska. It's about a kid who moves from Chicago to this little town called Saltwells. And in Saltwells, he has no friends. He doesn't know anybody. His parents are opening up a mercantile uh, uh, store. And, of course, all the characters in this town, which is, in those days, is quite Western, mm. um, is very, very strange. So I'll just read you the flap copy, and then if it ever sees the light of day, um, I expect you to buy it. <laughs> sure, sign okay. me up. Right. All right, 1880, Saltwells, Nebraska. Jimmy Sweeney mourned the day his family moved from Chicago to open Merkel's mercantile store in Saltwells. No one, no one should be forced to abandon your best friends. One day you're happy, and the next you're alone. A prisoner, a slave in your own parents' dry goods store. What could be worse? Well, just down the street at the extra-long Longhorn Saloon, an angel named Snow and a devil named Scorch are arguing over the fate of the town of Saltwells, and Jimmy is the catalyst that is about to light the fire. But fate walks a fickle path, altered by the unexpected, that odd bit of circumstance, a pause here or there, a change of mind. That same night, Snow and Scorch were discussing the future. Another rider rode into town under a pale prairie moon, looking to fulfill a promise. His name was Apache Jack. He was an old gunslinger by trade. He was also dead. He just hadn't noticed. Oh, yeah. Definitely sign me up. I want to get on the pre-order list for that. That sounds great. And then what age group is that going to be aimed at? That's probably 6th uh, or 7th grade. 6th or 7th grade. Wow. Can't wait. Yeah. Well, I can't either. Right. I haven't sold it yet. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> but someone's working on it. You're working on it. Yeah, How yeah, does that work? Sure. Do you have an agent or you do sell yourself? Well, you know, I had an agent for about 20 minutes and it, it, it's, they, they take you know, fifteen or twenty percent of your of your income, and I'm not sure they do that much for you. So, besides, I've had fifty books. You know, it's just not as though I'm, I'm right. People don't know who I am. So, right, 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 right. You've got a track record. You've proven yourself already. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> At least to me, you have, and it obviously to lots of other folks too. What do you do here in the valley when you're you're not sitting writing and drawing? You have fun somehow. What do you like to do? Well, I'm a great gardener. I yeah. love to be outside. Uh, we have a big rose garden. We have uh, uh, an acre and a half of uh, fruit trees. And, uh, we're out in Pope Valley. And mm -hmm. that's, uh, we spend a lot of time out there. And my wife is a teacher, so I'm always doing something with her. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Right. Being out, being part of the land, growing things. Yes. Growing mines as well. Well, we, we used to uh, uh, harvest walnuts. We've got also an acre and a half of walnuts, two acres of walnuts. And, uh, so if you need any walnuts, let me know. There's, <laughs> You're looking for it. They're all laying down. The squirrels like them a lot. You may like oh, them too. Oh, no. That was, that was my first entrepreneurial effort was uh, picking up the walnuts that dropped off of our trees. And we had a Whitehall Lane winery. Lived uh, behind there. was a couple of walnut trees. Yeah. And I'd mm -hmm. gather them up, stand in front of the winery with a sign, you know, walnuts whatever, 45 cents a pound, you know, 30 years ago. I don't know what they're up to now, but... Uh, but probably 55 cents. Okay, so hey, things yeah, are looking up for Walnuts Think about it. Years. Things don't work out for you, you know. <laughs> so I've got to ask you a question, and um, I know it's on the minds of, well, pretty much everybody listening at this very moment need to know Dennis Kazette, 
author extraordinaire with over 50 books published to your credit. Do go nuts for donuts? <laughs> what does that mean? You're about to find out right <laughs> that now. Means, that means boom. Oh, oh. Somebody took a bite of one of those already. Oh, my God. Yeah, look at we that. We got rats. I'll take that one. <laughs> okay. So there's a box of donuts laid in front of you. Um, what I'd like you to do is, is choose one of those. Whether you feel like eating it at this moment or not, I'd like you to select one of these beautiful donuts here in front of you. Let's see which one he goes for. I'll go for the old-fashioned. The maple old-fashioned. Once, once again, yes. that is a show favorite. I'd say over 90% of the folks go really? for that one there. Yeah, they all have good taste. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my faves as well. So here we are. It's a beautiful yet chilly Napa Valley day. You've got a maple old-fashioned donut. And since you seem to gain inspiration, the drop of the hat from just about anything, tell me a little bit about this donut, will you? This donut. Yeah. It's a gorgeous donut. Yeah. It's, a, it's the kind of donut that people would stop, even if it were lying on the, on the street. They'd pull <laughs> over and they'd say, oh, my God, is that an old-fashioned donut? That's the kind of donut I just love. Of course, they're stopping traffic. <laughs> traffic is pulled over everywhere. Somebody has gotten rear-ended. This guy is just staring at this donut. Unfortunately, as he steps out of the car to walk over, he's hit by another car. Oh, dear. I know. He doesn't care. He crawls. He crawls into the gutter, reaches out, and some kid about five years old picks up the donut, and he eats it. It's such a sad, sad story. I'm sorry. Oh, that's not the way I wanted to end the show on a sad <laughs> note like this. I can't help myself. It's, it's just, it's the weather. It's the cold weather. It's such yeah. a s sweet start with a donut, too. Oh, God. Okay, what can we do, Lauren? What should we ever do to bring this show back up onto I know. I'm, I'm depressed myself. Well, maybe we should move on to something else. <laughs> oh, well, hey, spoken like a true producer. Thank God. Where is my producer these days? Gil Lamar has been on vacation. He's, like, taking the whole autumn off, and I think he's taking winter as well. And he's never here in the studio. Very rarely do we see the famous Gil Lamar, producer of Judd's Napa Valley show. But if you'd like to send him a note, send him to juddsproducer at gmail.com, and Gil Lamar will answer you. Especially if you have your own version of our theme song. We'd love to play it. Send it to us in MP3 format. You get 90 seconds. Hey, the original is only 30 seconds, but we're going to give you three times the amount of time. Send us your version. Any lyrics must be radio appropriate. You know, maybe use the original lyrics that are there. We'd love to have it. Send that to Gil Lamar at, or excuse me, his name is Gil Lamar. The email is juddsproducer at gmail.com. Now it's time to play everyone's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. This is Mad Lips. That's right. It's time to play that game. I know I don't have to explain this to you, Mr. Kazette, because uh, you're a teacher. You know all about nouns and adjectives and whatnot. Yes, but and, I'm a lousy speller. Well, I'll do the spelling. How about oh. that? You just oh, say yeah, them out sure. loud. Okay. I'll spell. I, I don't know if you recall this, but um, I happen to be the St. Helena Elementary School fourth grade spelling bee champion. Oh, my God, really? It's true. The winning word, which I think three, maybe four kids were um, eliminated on, handkerchief. Handkerchief. Yeah. I somehow got that D into the middle of it. Handkerchief. And uh, took the prize home. 
Wow. Which I think was just a big smile on my face for a couple of days. I don't think. Oh, I, I can see why. I, yeah. I, any spelling bee? I I don't like spelling bees, by the way. <laughs> oh no. My my only uh, spelling bee. Uh, I was eliminated fairly early uh, oh, no. in the round. Oh yeah. What was the word? Do you remember? I, any word. <laughs> any other. <laughs> That's right. You just said you're a lousy speller. Okay, yeah. well, then let's get to this, shall we? I need a number, any number. A number. A yeah. number. Like, um, you know, small, large, doesn't matter. Any number. Squillion. How about a squillion? A squillion. Yes. What? A squillion. Hey, I've never heard that before. Don't question Mr. Dennis yes, Gazette. I'm the oh, writer, sorry. remember? That's, he's the writer. Yes. A, a plural noun. A plural noun. Plural noun. Yes. Um, I say something like um, vampires. Ooh, I like it. Vampires. Vampires. An adjective. An adjective. Yes. I would say, uh, oh, I don't know. Um, let's see. Uh, how about overweight? Overweight. <laughs> Over? Heavy, yes. Overweight. Overweight. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yes. Another adjective? Oh, gosh. For some weird reason, maybe it's looking at the donuts, but greasy comes to mind. <laughs> greasy. What do you say? These are top shelf quality donuts here. Not too greasy, but I get where you're coming from. Plural noun. Plural noun. Yeah. Well, um, plural noun. I don't know why, but why, why the segue from donuts to uh, women? Women. Women. Okay. Well, the women in my life like donuts, and so do I. So. How about you? How about uh, geographic location? This could be anywhere at all. Oh, anywhere, like a room or a, or a place, a Any town. Any geographic location you can possibly think of. Um, let's see. Um, uh, my, uh, let's see, my father's glove compartment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know where that came from. That is bizarre, and I love it. Okay. I'm just, it's a lot to write, so I'm writing that down. Here we go. Earlier today, I took um, some snippets from your very own bio, and you have now just rewritten it via this little game of ours. Are you ready? I am. Okay, here we go. Me, me, me. Dennis Cazette is the author and illustrator of more than a squillion picture books for children, including... Never spit on your vampires. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I like it. The original is never spit on your shoes, right? That's right. That's okay. right. Yeah. Never spit on your vampires. Winner of the California Young Readers Medal. Congratulations. The books about Minnie and Moo are his first for overweight readers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I no, but who, who, who writes for these people? I, well, someone has to. That's nice. You found a niche yeah, there. Absolutely. Okay. He was inspired to tell stories about the greasy cow pest friends when he passed a herd of women. <laughs> this is yeah. getting really terrible. Yeah, they're, they're is full of them. Yeah, full of women. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, when he passed a herd of women in which all but two were facing the same way. I'm laughing too hard to continue. This is funny. Mr. Cazette was an elementary school teacher for 25 years and has also been a school librarian and elementary school media specialist. A California native, Mr. Cazette lives in his, uh, with his family in the foothills of his father's glove compartment. <laughs> oh, that was not a good choice. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Oh, that's very strange. It's bizarre. That's good stuff. But, yeah. Dennis Cazette. 
Thank you very much for being our guest here today. I look forward to having you back again. There's so much we could still talk about, all the creativity here. Uh, Your book's available at many, many outlets, Main Street Books in St. Helena, of course, Amazon.com, and all those online places. Check them out. This is Lauren Mole speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gillamar production. Judd's Napa Valley Show.